Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, February 6th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. And if you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go download a whole host of audio files that shows like this one where people have been stepped through the worksheet process. If you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for you and help you get maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest period of time. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they apply these tools in their lives. It also tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, 
please give us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number, if you choose to press 1, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that you want to talk. I'll turn on the microphone, and we can have a conversation. And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. Our intention with this work is to be a service. So please let us know, how can we be a service? We have been making the work available for over 12 years now. We're moving into our 13th year. And um, we're grateful, as I said, for everybody who's joining us. Because this work makes individual lives better. And since individual lives make up the collective, it makes our, our world better. I was listening again over the weekend to this YouTube video I mentioned last week that is about a pre-life experience. And on the third or fourth listen through, I realized some of the ways I'm drawn to that work because some of the key principles that he discusses are foundational pieces of this work, the Reality Management Worksheet and Michael Rice's work. They're foundational pieces of what I have found works very well clinically with people to resolve the effects of past trauma. They're foundational pieces of the teachings from Abraham Hicks. And... Um, and uh, foundational parts of what is found in the way of mastery, where it says in the third chapter and third lesson where it's talking about forgiveness and about how if I become aware of something from the past where I acted in a way that I currently would judge negatively, that Energy is coming into my awareness, not to punish me, not to shame me, but simply to give me an opportunity to bring new presence to energies that once defeated me. And when I bring new presence to those energies in this present moment, it heals me slash those energies for every moment in my life. And that's one of the, the, the um, one of the dynamics that we understand that allows for healing the effects of past trauma. And that is that the the trauma isn't happening in this moment, but the negative effects I'm holding on to and activating with my mind energy are active in this moment, and they're only active in this moment in my mind. And so if I address it in this moment in my mind, it 
shifts that energy pattern within me. It demonstrates to me my total safety. And it demonstrates to me that I am, as an entity, as a consciousness, I'm bigger than any problem my conscious logical mind can serve up. So that's just part of the weekend's work and um, one of the things I wanted to point out from that video on uh, what they're calling a pre-life experience. And to my mind, it doesn't matter whether you want to believe in that or not. The, the usefulness is in the concepts in the shift in perspective that we can make for ourselves, in, in the openness that we can be willing to step into in response to any thoughts, any images, any physical sensations that arise in our consciousness. We are literally, as the way of mastery points out over and over again, we are creating our experience of life by what we do with our mind energy moment to moment. And that's why it's the way of mastery as we worked through it last year. All 35 lessons continually called us to be actively stepping into awareness of what we're doing with our mind energy each new present moment, because that's literally what was creating our experience of life, each new present moment. And when I hold the belief that I'm being attacked or that I could be hurt by an attack, whether it's physical or verbal or whatever, then I create the experience of being vulnerable and It's a creation of my mind in the moment. It's not the truth of my essence or my life. Which is the good news because if it were the truth of my life and my essence, I wouldn't have any ability to change it. The good news is I'm, I'm able to change it what I'm experiencing, whether it's a pain or a fear or a sadness, an emotional hurt or a confusion, because, expressly because, it's what I'm doing with my mind energy that creates it moment to moment. So, call-in number again is 563-999-3581. Give us a call. Press 1. Let us know what's on your mind for today. How could we best serve you in this, the remainder of this hour before our second hour begins? 
Have you done worksheets over the weekend? Have you been prompted to upset that you would like to do a worksheet on or have framed out for you? Is there a topic that you would like to explore? 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, press 1. We can have a conversation. I had someone this morning who was quite an experienced therapist who was thanking me for introducing her to Brad Yates because Brad Yates and his on his YouTube channel has an extensive list of videos you can tap along with and he has a very nice very solid very quiet approach and yet he's got a lot of insight into the human condition because he does his own work and and he's, you know, making the commitment to be open and honest about his own work. And that gives him this ability to tap into words to say and phrases to put together and images to elicit, which resonate with people quite nicely. And... Um, this person actually said... As I tapped and I began to feel better, I started to feel badly that Brad would know so clearly what to say because I realized that must mean he's had tremendous sadness or dread or pain or fear in his life because you can't, in this person's opinion, you can't find the perfect words to say if you've never experienced these upsets. And uh, I would add to that that it's, having the upsets isn't enough, but having the upsets and being willing to be honest about them and do your own work about them is what's required to give you the ability to put together those kinds of videos and say the things that resonate so strongly with people who are in the middle of their upsetting emotions. So if you haven't done it yet, I strongly recommend that you give yourself permission to go to YouTube, type in Brad Yates. If you don't know how to do the EFT tapping, type in the how to tap and there'll be a five or seven minute video there on that. And then you can start working with this process. And one of the things that a lot of people find useful is if they have um, what some people would call an irrational fear come up for them as an adult, make the assumption that it's because there's a younger part of you that's just gotten activated who was very fearful and didn't really have the resources to deal with whatever the upsetting situation was when you were younger. And then... As goofy as it might sound, give yourself permission to visualize tapping on your younger self as you sit there and tap with Brad. And the combination of letting yourself be open, keeping the breath moving, 
and letting yourself resonate with whatever words Brad is saying and then visualizing how that might have been difficult for you as a child and actually visualizing as though you as the adult are tapping on a younger version of yourself, this can bring about powerful shifts in your energy system. And that's what we're about. We're about helping people get a shift in their energy system. Course in Miracles would call it the shift from fear to love. That's, you know, at one level, that's the definition of a miracle. That's all that has happened when a miracle occur, occurs or when people believe they've just experienced a miracle. Course in Miracles says that all that happened in that moment was the person made a decision to shift from fear to love. So when you can shift your mind energy from fear to love, you shift your life experience. And if you've had any experience of doing that recently and you'd like to share it with us, give us a call and let us know, 563-999-3581. Or if you'd like to understand how to use these tools to be able to facilitate a shift like that in your life, give us a call, 563 999 3581. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. Um, good topic. I started using Bill, uh, Brad Yates' videos this weekend, and I had learned tapping from a friend who's a therapist and a nutritionist. She does it quite differently, um, but very similarly too, tapping on different parts of your face, clavicle, sides, and so forth. She would say things like, even though I feel extremely anxious, I love myself and God loves me unconditionally. She would say something like that. And I didn't listen to enough of Brad's <clears throat> to know if he does that too. I really can't comment, but I ended up wondering what happens what is happening that causes the shift? Uh, so that's my question, I guess. Well, what happens that causes the shift is debatable, right? People are researching it and they're trying to figure out, you know, why do the stress hormones shift? Why is there a lowering of cortisol? Why is there muscle tension and decreased uh, uh blood pressure and heart rate. So in general, what some people say is what you're doing is you're using acupressure points to stimulate the relaxation response. If that's true, okay, that's one good explanation for it. There's this other thing that I talk about at the mental-emotional level, which is when I... when i'm i'm going to be doing a behavior like picking up a reality management worksheet or doing a round of eft tapping i'm demonstrating to the fearful part of my mind that it's okay for me to look at something it's been hiding from itself mm -hmm. and that can allow a letting go a relaxation a softening which might just as well be responsible for the shift 
But, you know, what's actually happening, I don't know. Some people say the acupuncture, acupressure meridians are very, very real and very powerful. And just watch in the, in the near future as we develop the scanning devices. They're going to be able to see the actual dynamics. And other people say, well, there's nothing to it. You know, it's been debunked for thousands of years. And we don't know why it's hung around <laughs> as a powerful tool for thousands of years. But So I don't know the truth of it, but those are the best guesses. If you listen to people like Brad Yates and have him talk about it, he just stays with the simplest explanation, which is you're relaxing, you're softening, you're letting go, you're talking to your mind about being gentle, having ease, mm-hmm. And when you do that, you decrease the tension, whether it's muscular or mental, emotional, and it opens things and allows them to flow. And and for me, that ties into what what Guy Finley says, where he says, there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. It cannot be possible for you to find out something about yourself that's bad for you to know. And yet, everything that is in the, quote, unconscious, close quotes, is just part of what you've lived through that you're hiding from yourself. And there's no need to hide it from yourself. You spend a tremendous amount of mental and emotional energy every time you decide to hide something from your conscious awareness. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking that if if nothing else, it's a way of multiplying ways of bringing consciousness into the moment. It gets you busy saying something to yourself, which is an acknowledgement of what's going on. Meanwhile, tapping at the same time. It's like drawing the wild horses in or something. Yep. <laughs> I used to say to people when I would teach the all-day course, one of the primary things I'd say in the opening discussion was, when I teach it in in my sessions, and and then people say, oh, that was really wonderful, I really liked it, I really felt a shift with it. And I say, okay, so try doing this, you know, three or four times a day, every day until you come back. And they'd come back a week or two later, and I'd say, so, did you do any tapping? And they would say, no. And I'd say, okay, why? And they'd say, well, I couldn't remember what to say. Uh-huh. Or they would say that the, the, the second most um, uh, common reason for not tapping between sessions was I couldn't remember where to tap, even though I'd given them wow. a handout that shows exactly where, et cetera. So what I would say in that initial lecture part of the all-day workshop was just imagine how your life would get better if you never remembered where a single tapping point was or even if you remembered it you never tapped once but you said to yourself 20 or 40 times a day I deeply and completely love accept and forgive myself Mm -hmm. just imagine that just imagine if you took Mm -hmm. the time every day to repeat that sentence. Mm. Right? And the other thing is, Mm. 
What if you couldn't remember anything about what you were supposed to say, but you took nice, slow, deep breaths and you tapped on these 12 or 14 energy points as you took that calming, relaxing, deep breath? Either way, your life would get better by leaps and bounds, even if you could honestly say, I can't remember how to do the EFT process. Mm. <clears throat> It's a way of being with yourself. Yes. Coming back to yourself. It's very it's nice. It's doing self-care, right? It's doing yeah. prayer. It's doing meditation. It's doing relaxation, deep breathing. It's doing yoga. It's the same kind of thing. It's being gentle with yourself if you're saying the kinds of things that Gary Craig and then Brad Yates recommend i deeply and completely love and accept and forgive myself whether you want to bring god into it that i'm loved unconditionally by god or not it doesn't really matter you're still moving toward softening allowing accepting canceling judgment and tension when they arise and all of these things for you know many many years we've known all of these things are beneficial Mm. <clears throat> well, I liked his videos very much, and I haven't listened to nearly, an, an, you know, as many as I'm going to. I, I subscribe to his thing and, and push the little bell thing so that when something new comes out, I can get it because it's just, he's, he's a lovely man, and I like what you said. You, you do the same thing in the radio show. You You bring your own life into it. It's not just preaching it's demonstrating and that's a huge difference to me makes a big difference and I have another question kind of related to peripherally related when Tim and I were much Tim Bingham and I were much younger uh, we had a an aunt living near us married aunt who never had children and we became kind of like her family and her husband died, and then she was alone, and we took pains to tend to her even more and be present for her. One thing I noticed about her, and she didn't have any of the tools at that time, neither did I, but she began bringing up uh, her relationship with her mother in particularly. She would say things like, I didn't understand her love for me. I didn't recognize that it was love for me. I wish I could go back and have a discussion with her. She really began to talk about things that she hadn't thought about for years. She also began talking about how she had an occasional dream at night that she had a son or that she bore a child. And as I said, she hadn't had children, and that was a very painful thing for her because her husband wanted biological children they were unable for some reason to have their own children and she wanted to adopt and he refused there was some kind of sense of pure blood or not wanting to contaminate the blood or some crazy family thing and as we talked it was painful she would sometimes cry she'd just say you know i'm i'm I didn't understand this or that, or I wish I had done this or that. I'm wondering, my question is, 
because I'm finding in funny ways I'm doing the same thing. All of a sudden, my life is, I'm still busy and in the present with my projects, but I also think about things that happened when I was very young. At first, I thought it was because of the work we're doing, and maybe it is, but I'm wondering if it's just a feature of getting older that we start reviewing things. And I've heard it said, too, that on your deathbed, your whole life passes through your you know, you may see your whole life pass through your eyes or before your eyes, before you head out. Do you have any thoughts about any of that? Well, it it can be all of the above, right? I mean, like, certainly I've known people who are quite old, nearing the end of their lives, and they're not doing any of that introspection. They're just not built that way. Oh, so part of it is, is because you're doing the work. And it might be in part that it's happening more because of the phase of your life. But, you know. Well, I had a thing happen with with Tim. Go ahead. I'm more concerned with what can I do with it to make it of value in my life. Yeah. Well, I did a worksheet this Weekend. It's a little bit embarrassing because it has to do with the dynamic between Tim Bingham and me. Um, I don't like to cook. And when I decide I'm going to make a salad, I'll make enough for three days straight, a huge, huge salad, get all the ingredients in there, and then just wash my hands and pull out enough for one meal when we need salad. And I save myself having to make salads every single day. Our kitchen is very small, and the area where I work, you know, I'll move from one side of the kitchen to the other. I'll be opening drawers, uh, refrigerator, cupboards, and then Tim, who is literally twice my size, will come into the kitchen, and I've begun reacting as if I'm being hit almost, and I thought, this is really strange. He says, what's the matter? Can't we work side by side? It's kind of friendly. And I think, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I don't know why I just jump and move away. And so I did a worksheet on it, and tons of stuff came out of all the crowdedness in my family, the fighting among the kids, the the you know the violence from my mother to us. My dad was not part of that. He was working all day. Poor guy. He was just away. It just all fell out. Somehow, Tim coming into this small space, beelining for what he wants to get, a glass of water or some ice cubes, perfectly benign. And I have this reaction where I immediately feel as if I'm being pushed and I have to get out of there. The kitchen isn't small. The whole kitchen is a little bit bigger, but there's a very small workspace. It's like a galley kitchen but beyond one shelf, there's an eating space and some windows. So it's it's not as if it's a like in a the hold of a ship or a boat or something. It's big enough, but the workspace is small. I'll go and sit at the the little table and wait for him to be finished. I said, why did you get out of here? Stay in here. I'm just getting. And he's right. But I did this worksheet, and it was very very fruitful. And I've been feeling a lot better of having him come into the kitchen. I also asked him, 
when you come in, can you sort of stop before you're all the way in and have a look at what I'm doing and say, is it okay if I come in? And I'm thinking, is that a lot to ask? I have no idea. But he's perfectly willing. But that's one of the things I mean. Why did this show up now? We've lived in this house for 10 years. And it's only started happening like a, a two months ago. And it's gotten more and more intense. Well, like the so, way of mastery and, and a, a bunch of these other teachings tell us, when they come up, for whatever reason, the best use to make of them is they're there for your healing. right? This mm-hmm. energy about about the the family that you grew up in and the physical violence and the close quarters and the arguments has been in your system all these years. That's true. And 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 sometimes it comes up when I've cleared enough other issues out of the way to make, you know, like 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 if I've got um I just got this image of this great big heap of garbage, right? And there's some garbage that's got put in there earlier and so then when I when I got garbage that came in uh, in my high school years or my 20s or my 30s it got heaped on top of it mm-hmm. and so as I start clearing away that garbage I I I I see other stuff that was hidden underneath it so it mm. might be that kind of thing it might be that you're doing enough right. work on other issues that now some of these things that are for whatever reason, sensitive in a different way or more sensitive or more painful, you've got either the bandwidth to do it or you've got enough other things out of the way or you're feeling stronger as a person because of the other worksheets you've done or the other emotional work you've done so that now you can face this without running away from it. That's just one thought. Those are all good thoughts. It was just surprising that it came up at all because it's never been an issue. But anyway, that's yet, what it did. And yet, and yet all those yeah. issues that came out when you did the worksheet have always been there. That's true. That's true. And, and, it, and remember, and remember it's, it's not him doing anything that's triggering this. It's the mm-hmm. interpretation you're placing on whatever he's doing that has mm-hmm. the resonance with the energy in you that is painful or, or needs healing. Yep, that's absolutely true. I totally get it, and I agree. <clears throat> kind of embarrassing, but anyway, there it is. Well, then I would encourage you to do a, a worksheet or five on the embarrassment that you're generating out of thin air because it is not embarrassing unless you throw the interpretation on it that this shouldn't be happening or I should be beyond this or our relationship I should be bigger than this or our relationship shouldn't be bothered by whatever the interpretation is that's Mm -hmm. what you're using to generate embarrassment but it is not embarrassing right true I loved it when you said I should be bigger than this because I've often thought if I were as big as you, Tim Bingham, there would be no problem. You would realize that I'm here in the kitchen and you'd make room for me. But I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> I need to grow. Well, there's, a worksheet or, there's a worksheet or five on 
I, I feel like I'm I'm not seen. I'm not appreciated. I'm not whatever. Seen is the first yeah. word that came out, so maybe that's the best. If I were bigger, I'd be seen. Yep, that's true. That is a worksheet. Thank you. That's a worksheet. Do you hear well, a weird we have... buzz you're in? No. Okay. Might be Here okay. is uh, yeah. area code eight eight two eight. I'm turning on the microphone. I believe it's Magda. Hi there. Yep, it's Magda. Um, in regard to Susan's question about how is how are things how's the energy getting released? Um, I just thought I'd like to plug in a little information that I learned about a thousand years ago. When I was much younger, <laughs> so I'm not sure how much I will <clears throat> remember. However, uh, this was some training I took, which was an extension of the Touch for Health training, <clears throat> and um, right brain, left brain, and all of that, which some of the practitioners who utilized that uh, later developed some extensive. Uh, uh, more advanced work integrating Chinese um, uh, ancient Chinese medical knowledge into the work with the the systems of energy in our body and their uh, technology was based upon the um, movement of energy through our body in the major meridians Um, and um, I think there were I'm going to guess. I think there was, I think there were 12 um, major meridians. And so anyway, the idea is <clears throat> that when we experience a trauma, be it humongous or tiny, uh, it doesn't really matter. It gets stuck somewhere in one of those meridians. And so that when we're doing the tapping and the points of tapping that we utilize, on the face and other parts of the body are actually the beginning or endings of one of the meridians. And since we don't exactly know which meridian something got stuck in, you know, whatever topic we're working on, uh, we just tap all of them (laughs) and say the words that go along with that beautifully and, you know, the words of acceptance and love and, um, and the tapping itself when we hit the right meridian actually um, accentuates the energy moving through there and kind of like opening the floodgates of that meridian so that that particular stuck energy can then be released. So that's as far as I can (laughs) represent this. You know what, Magda? Uh Uh-huh. No, tell me. I was, <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to say, I have the same problem in the kitchen with Chuck. I have a different problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it's similar, girl. It's similar. Um, I'm very easily, um, um, uh, what is startled, startled. That's it. Startled. Startled. Yes, and he is he's very soft. He walks around the house barefoot most of the time, 
and I don't hear him coming, and then suddenly he's next to me. And I go, well, you know, it's like I, I have yet to find out what that's about. Um, so that's, And we do have a small kitchen, too, so I've learned to skedaddle out when he wants to do something. He hasn't quite learned that about me yet, but we, we are able to work around it. Um, but anyway, I, I kind of chuckled <laughs> when you talked about this. <laughs> it's kind of like that a little. <laughs> so, okay. So that was my offering. Um, I love this. the idea of tapping all the places because we don't know which ones are which or where they begin and end. That is very useful. <laughs> well, that yeah. is essentially what them. Gary Craig did. There, there was a Gary Craig took probably a quarter of a million dollars worth of training for various high proprietary <laughs> um, tappings techniques. Uh-huh. There was, you know, the thought field therapy, which had a very specific set of protocols. You tap, if you're tapping on a sphere of spiders, then you tap this meridian five times, and then this spot for two times, and then this for three. What you know, they would call these things algorithms for tapping, and it was very specific. And 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 it it had to do with memorizing which meridians were where and what they were about. And Gary Craig took that training and found it was very useful. But then he had what he called a God moment. And it just came to him that it doesn't have to be that complicated. And he created the EFT tapping, which is we don't give names to the points. We just list them. We don't care what meridians they are called or what the meridians are associated with. And we just tap on all the meridians for everything and whichever meridian point needs to get adjusted or moved or have energy move through it gets stimulated. Mm, Well, there is actually um, a way of finding out where the blockage is by going through muscle testing, if one believes in muscle testing. And, And that was part of the training and many of the Chinese um, um, methods of of letting go of certain things had to do with that kind of testing, finding out where it is, and then working on that particular meridian. But the I I love the simplicity of um, of just tapping on all of them with the intention. Well, and and, and he he got that download and then his download was make this available free so he put it on the internet for absolutely free and there are you know there were two different uh energy techniques that utilized the knowledge of the acupuncture meridians that i was trained in before i learned the the uh, Mm -hmm. eft tapping Uh and um and they both use muscle testing and they use that muscle testing simply to pinpoint which meridian might be involved and Correct. then which thought process might be involved. And that, you know, the, the neuroemotional technique, which is one of those two, remains the most powerful and the most um, 
frequently used technique I've ever encountered. So mm-hmm. I have it done on me on a regular basis, and I offer it to patients when they are are stuck because it uses the energy system and the muscle testing to bypass the conscious logical mind to figure out, okay, so which meridian mm-hmm. is involved here and what emotion and what thought pattern. Yes, 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 yes. And then we emotion. just hold... And then we just either tap on those points or we hold those points and breathe through them and allow. Mm-hmm. And as the person allows and breathes and softens, many times they find the energy shifts. And then when a similar situation arises in their life, the thoughts generate the emotions, generate the physical tensions. They, un- they, they experience that they respond differently. Right. It sounds like you and I had some of the same training in that regard because attaching the emotion was really pivotal in in terms of giving the technique a great deal more more strength uh, and potency. Yeah, really, really neat work. uh, Another one that does almost exactly the same thing is called PSY-K, P-S-Y hyphen K. And another one is called the bioenergetic synchronization technique, and I have the training in that. And the one I mentioned wow. that I use most often is called the neuroemotional technique. But again, I tell people it's basically the same thing as the reality management worksheet because I specify what my mind is doing in the first three steps, and then I ask to be shown whatever the hidden part of my mind is, it's not the logical part of my mind that's creating this upset. And then I breathe and soften and allow and stuff bubbles up. Mm. Tim, when you said somebody worked on you muscle testing, were you doing your own muscle testing or was somebody else doing it for you or with you? With with the neuroemotional technique, you have somebody test your muscles for you. With I see. with the emotion code book, you can do it for yourself. And you can figure out how to do muscle testing either with your hand, your finger, your fingers in a loop, you know, your elbow yeah. resting on on a table chair and then you gently hold your wrist up and you press down and if it's effortless to strong to hold it there and then if you have a negative thought and you press down and there's a, a, a weakness in the muscle, you can learn to do your own muscle testing. And the emotion mm-hmm. code book, I think the guy's name is Dr. Bradley Nelson, and I've interviewed him. And So he, he put the book out there, and you can go to his website and download um, the charts and then you know read a little bit of the book and le- learn to do the muscle testing. You can do your own very, very similar to the uh, neuroemotional technique. But most people that I work with greatly prefer having somebody else do the applied kinesiology, the muscle testing for them, so they can just sit there and go blank. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, it facilitates bypassing the conscious logical system. Mm-hmm. You know, in the emotion code book, it, it gives you a way to do that, too, because you've got the chart, 
and you don't even look at the chart. You just know it's in two columns and six rows, and you muscle test for which column and which row, and then you go look at that box, and then you muscle test the various emotion names that are in that box, and then you release the one that seems appropriate. I don't trust my brain to to not get in there and be, you know, the pseudo solution brain. <laughs> just, yeah. Okay, then just keep just keep using the worksheet like you did this weekend because it really served up some good stuff. It sure did. It was amazing. It was like it all fell out. It wasn't even hard. <clears throat> I always think if if it's hard, you really get something, but I don't think that's true either. Tim Tim Bingham said, you know what? You're weird. You ought to do a worksheet on that. <laughs> Tim, who never does worksheets, he tells me I better do a worksheet. And he was right. <laughs> and that's on the kitchen thing that he told you to do the worksheet on? Yeah. Well, I'm. He said you're. I'm glad for both of you that it that it pr- produced some results for you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it made for a lot more peace, peaceful life in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyway, thanks for listening to all that. That was several different things piled in, but. <clears throat> Well, here's area code 541 who's raised a hand. I think it might be Celinda. Yes, it's the third musketeer here. (laughs) I wanted to tell you, both of you ladies and you, Tim, that I um, appreciate everything you said because I'm having very similar experiences. Magda had taken touch for health, too. And uh, sometimes when I get in a pinch, that's where I go. Uh, Also, Louise Hay and Heal Your Body, and then I go grab a worksheet, uh, make an affirmation or something. Um, But I'm having the same thing, Dr. Tim. What's coming up is it seems like two issues are coming up. Our daughter-in-law just died from cancer last night, and it totally blew us away because the last time we talked to her about three weeks ago, trying to give her the space to heal so we didn't don't call her often because she didn't need to be checking in with us um we thought she was doing fine she apparently thought she was doing fine and then we just got a phone call last night that she had died and um what's coming up for me mostly is grief and guilt and all of the other issues seem to be based on grief and guilt and um i feel like i'm opening up here uh, for feelings, I, I just last week I was thinking, God, I wonder if I'll ever feel because I've taken that spring and pushed it down so hard and sat on it with my butt and just won't let it up. And now it just seems like I'm spewing all over the place this grief about loss of, of, that goes back 50, 60, 70 some years, um, 74. 76, who knows, maybe in utero. So I just thought I'd share that with you and an appreciation for the EFT and the Touch for Health and Dr. Tim, what you've been sharing. And 
<clears throat> Susan and Magdo, what you've been sharing. I'm just very grateful. Thank you. Well, you're welcome and deserving, and um, I'm going to thank you for putting it out there to our community so that everybody listening or now or in the archives can send you that loving thought and support and um, their own their own way of sending support emotionally for your grief and for your healing of your grief and your I think you used the word guilt, so these thoughts that you somehow did something wrong that might have caused upset for somebody. Yes, not only that, but because I'm so bad or so guilty or so unworthy, I deserve to be punished by losing all those I love. Those are the worksheets that are coming out. That would be good to do those worksheets. Again. <laughs> well, so again, so every time they come home. up, right? It, it's the idea that, right. you know, um, 77 times 70 wasn't about a mathematical number. It was about the concept of doing an infinite number of worksheets or processes of forgiveness or breathing or relaxing or tapping or goal canceling until it feels complete. Which means that's right. when, when, whenever I think I'm done, that's my mind telling me, hey, Tim, you've got more to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also a little pressure that comes from my husband because, bless his heart, um, he thinks I ought to be done with this. Like he's so tired of listening to it. Yeah. Excuse me. Larry's trying to keep us from freezing up out here. <laughs> okay. So are you there? Uh, we are here. And so, um, yeah, the, I get defensive. I feel invaded or crowded just like Susan, you do. Um, when I'm asked to change or entertain something that feels threatening to me, yeah, so I, I'm going to look at that one, too. In my interpretation, you hit it on the, the nail on the head, Dr. Tim. My interpretation of Larry, whether he's irritated or not at, at me because I'm wallowing in my self-pity from his point of view or my worthlessness. Um, and also what you shared, Dr. Tim, about if something is true, the one thing I can know, the opposite is always is also true. Well, I'm looking at that in spades. <laughs> that which I push away is also true. Well, I'm, you know, commit to doing a little tapping and sending that energy to you and Larry and his family and and. and uh, thoughts about your ease for processing mm-hmm. out what needs to be processed out, especially thoughts about guilt, because that's just an extra layer that's completely unnecessary at a time like this, when there's plenty to be processed in terms of grief and loss and 
mortality, etc. And thank you for that support because I shall, as I process and heal more and more, then I will be able to share that same support with our family and anyone um, I meet, including myself. That is how it works. Well, blessings to all of you. I love every one of you. (laughs) You're most welcome and deserving. Is there anything else we can support you with today? No. (laughs) Just helping me breathe. Thank you. Doing that. Doing that. Oh, great. Thank you. And I shall right. uh, mute myself now. Thank you. All right. Blessings. So any last comments from you, Susan or Magda, to wrap up the show today? We've got about a minute and a half, two minutes left. Mm, no, I don't have anything. How about you, Magda? Magda might have muted herself. I did mute. Yeah, I'm I'm on my way to town, so I'm driving, and and um, I just want to extend um, joy and love and peacefulness to Celinda and everyone in the family and friends. Mm. <laughs> A lot going on. Yep. Well, it's. It's a shock to the system, and um, yes. and yet it'll it'll be good for her to have the use of these tools and uh, share that strength and loving energy with the rest of her family as they process this loss. So, well, thank you both for your comments and uh, efforts to uh, apply the tools today and discuss it. I will mute you so you can listen in to the second half of the show, and I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. And uh, i just come in at, towards the tail end of it. Um, somebody passed in Celinda's house? Yeah, Celinda's, um, I guess it's her daughter-in-law. Uh, and it was a surprise. She had cancer, but they thought she was doing well, and they learned she died last night. So. Oh, okay. Well, we will hold the space and send love. All right. Same here. Thank Blessings. You. Have a good show. Yeah. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Monday, February the 6th, 2023. And our call-in number is Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. However, we have got a big project going on right now, and so I'm actually going to play a repeat of a show where Michael worked with Yinka, and so this is part one of that. And so I hope you enjoy, and we will talk to you tomorrow. One of the things I found really hard to kind of grasp is how can you go your whole life carrying that a belief? Yeah. 
and not not notice it, not know it's even that you're making a decision. Because it's like if somebody told me that's what I was thinking, I would have said no, I don't. But actually seeing it in myself is like oh. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. Well, if you go back into the ancient uh, teachings, they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. It wasn't take care of the head, and the heart is the unconscious. There's a gentleman that I worked with, oh, this goes back 30 years ago, and he was an ophthalmologist. And he had a system of lights that he would use to Go, he would use the light to go into the eye and to impact and stimulate a part of the brain. It was a very powerful treatment. And his take as an ophthalmologist was that there are enough connections possible in a single human mind to match. The number of connections possible would match the number of molecules in the known universe. Not the number of grains of sand on a beach in Florida or Florida and Africa and South America. The number of molecules in the known universe is possible in one mind. Harvard research says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, 10,000 units of electrical activity are happening, we get in our conscious awareness that thing called perception. We only get nine bits. Mm -hmm. So having a way to drop into the underlying hidden part to me is the most important skill that somebody could have because nobody knows what's controlling their lives and everybody's trying to figure it out. Penance intensive workshop, I, I go through what I call the pseudo solutions of the non-being mind. And the number one pseudo solution is if I could just figure this out. And you can't figure it out, but you could do exactly what you just did, Yanka, and you can drop into it. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily, it usually takes some time and it takes some willingness to really become cognizant of what it is you're touching into. Like you got that clear memory. You had the brain cells to be able to get that. Somebody doesn't even need to be to that stage where they're fully cognizant of, you know, what that memory is. All they need to do, and that's why, you know, several times in worksheets we remind people to breathe. Before you go into the core of the forgiveness process and canceling the goal, we ask you to connect powerfully to the active presence of love. If you're breathing and love is present and you're holding a smile on your face, then that energy is going to move. And you may not even be cognizant of what just moved, but it'll move and watch your life change. Mm -hmm. So nice piece of work, Yanka. Yanka that's awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. It made me realize when you talk about trying to find the answer outside yourself and the answer is inside, it was like I, re I realized that I could see that I was, tr I was trying to get everybody to, to see me, kind of hear me, I'm here. And it was like, no, I just wanted me to recognize me, not this search of looking outside of myself and relationships and the things that I did. It was like, it was never out there. And it's not until you actually see it in yourself that you realize what somebody's saying. You know, like I hear you say it, but I don't see it. But now I can actually see it in myself. Right. Beautiful. There's a young lady here in the States that um, actually for several years did a radio show 
after she had done this forgiveness work, she'd been to Heartland and done intensive. And uh, her radio show was, there's no out there. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just start with the questions that I've got from other people. Please, let's go for it, yes. Yinka. And then if anybody else wants to ask a question, if you click on raise your hand, and then once I've gone through the questions people have sent me, I'll go through the raised hand. Um, but Maggie is first because she did message me. So you won't have to raise your hand. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'll write, write the, read these ones out. Uh, I've wrote them on a scruffy piece of paper, so that'll be read me writing. Oh, um, there's, there's a lot of different worksheets. Which one is best to do? Uh, what's best to start with? Which is, and said, which is most recent? Well, my, my offering would be that, um, we, I mean, we have a simple three-step short form that we print on the back of a a, um, a bookmark that can you know the core of the process there is there and just uh, can you give me one second yep Okay, I had some interference there, excuse me. So, and then there's the, the most current worksheet, which is the one we publish on the website as the number one worksheet, is a seven step. And that's the one if people want to go to depth each time that I suggest using. And it's something that's been in development for 40 years. And if you look on the website, you'll see there are, I don't even know how many we publish there. Do you know, Jeannie, about how many different worksheets are published on probably 20, 20 or 25 uh, on, the, uh, on the website? And uh, each one of them has been a test of how do we get to the core of what the issues are. And so what I've found or what the feedback I've gotten from people who have really practiced that and used the worksheet is that if they, so again, what I suggest people do is go through and take the ones that really appeal to you. There are different ideas in each worksheet and practice with each of them. And there's several people who've told me that they've found it beneficial to rotate. They'll do a certain worksheet for a week or two, and then they'll shift to one of the others. And they'll shift because each one has got a slightly different flavor, and each one goes to a slightly different place. And there's a, there are actually seven different children's worksheets, and I've had a lot of adults who've tried to do the adult worksheet and go, hmm, I just, you know, it's something. And they start off with the, the children's worksheet, and, you know, right down to the simplest one, and they start to click and click with it and then work into the adult worksheet. So the I guess the, uh, the, the full answer would be practice, practice, practice. Yeah, I would agree with that one. Um, so I've not been doing the worksheets. Um, can I still benefit from the work, and how do we encourage? I think encourage myself to do it, or how do we get myself to do it? So they've asked. Um, they've not been doing the worksheets. Can they still benefit from the work, um, and how do they get themselves to do it? Well. 
you know, every, every piece of awareness that we allow ourselves to step into, we're going to benefit from it. So you use the tools or don't use the tools, but my input would be to discipline yourself to maybe at least do one worksheet a day. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why, in my experience, people don't want to do worksheets is, Yanka, exactly what you just shared was you touched into something that was pretty deep. And when it happened, it was pretty devastating. And when people get the intuitive sense that that's where they're going, a lot of times they're like, well, I don't want to go there. My input for the person who does that, and again, that can be an unconscious decision, but my input is you don't have to be aware of the painful experience to be in pain from it. Actually, a lot of the behaviors of our culture are anesthetics that people use in order to hide their pain from themselves. And so, but the benefit is when I allow myself, when I'll do the work, when I'll use the worksheet, and I allow myself to go there, I can free myself from my unconscious pain, the pain I didn't even know was there. It's, it's not that by avoiding it, I escape it. It's just that I experience it as deteriorating my physiology if I never look at it. You know, there's that old saying that says, you know, the, the brave or the coward dies a thousand deaths, the brave only one. I go look at it once and yeah, it's intense and it's painful, but once I move through it, I'm finished with it. If I never go look at that, my structure is suffering from it 24-7, 365, and ultimately, literally, on a physiological level, when you think of it, the body as energy, it's literally the stuff that kills us. So that would be my encouragement for you. And yes, of course, each new piece of awareness gained, there's going to be benefit to it. Yeah. We did have someone on this morning who said that they saw us, that they're making themselves suffer even more by tuning the sheets. And then was, I was explaining like that when you were saying about going through it, it's what well, it's the suffering that you're going through. At least it stops. Whereas if you continue with the belief you've got, the suffering's going to continue. But I don't know if you would word it differently. Well, it is a process for sure. Mm-hmm. And the deeper you engage, the, the more the benefits are going to be. Somebody's asked, does it the same apply for all religions? Because they're not Christian. This, this is not a Christian process. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. It happened to come out of the teachings of this man, Yeshua, from 2,000 years ago. But... You know, it's like, you know, the analogy I would use is, so I'm a, I'm a carpenter and I'm a Christian carpenter and I made a hammer. Does that mean I'm the only one in the world that can use a hammer or benefit from a hammer and it won't be of any use to anyone else? No, that, of course, is silly. It, it, it's, it's got, you know, sadly, many of the most powerful teachings, whether it's been from Baha'u'llah, whether it's been from Muhammad, whether it's been from Yeshua, whether it's been from, you know, the Hindu perspective, has been turned into a religious idea. When it's not, it's just, here are the tools, here's how it works. And it works equally for everyone. If I'm going to build a house, I need a hammer and a saw and a level and a square. And and there's no such thing as a, you know, a Muslim hammer and a Christian square. and a You know, it's just, here are the tools. That's all. And everything that I teach comes 
here's how you make it work. And it doesn't matter who you are. You can go kicking and screaming, I don't believe a word that this Michael Rice says. That's okay. Just use the tool and your life will change. You can say, I don't believe that a hammer can drop in a nail, but if I put it in my hand and I pound the nail, the nail's going to go in. That's all. You don't have to believe anything of it. Not a thing. Thank you. This is a question that's not necessarily on the worksheet, but she's poor. Every time she decides to eat less, more food just shows up and she loses herself. (laughs) So it's not necessarily to do the worksheet, but maybe she needs to do a worksheet on it. It it sounds like some food worksheets would be good, yes. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a part of her unconscious keeps tempting her. Yes. Because she said if she was a lot of food just shows up every time she decides she's going to eat less. How would you start the worksheet? Would you start it on? I would start it on food and, and or it might be a worksheet on myself. You know, if I find that, you know, I want to eat more than I know is healthy for me, then the worksheet might be on my, me. So I put my name in number one C and, you know, the situation might be I overeat. And the goal might be I want to be in control of my appetite. Or it might be uh, when I'm in pain, I find myself going to the refrigerator. The goal might be, you know, to cover my pain with food. So it could be a thousand variations on a theme. And the more, and, and this is one of the reasons why you might do the same worksheet more than once, the more accurately you identify a goal, and you get to the precise goal that's the key in this particular situation, the more powerfully that perceptual construct of the moment that holds pain is going to collapse in on itself. And the more powerfully it collapses in on itself, the deeper you get to reach into that hidden part of the mind and clean out the garbage. That goes into the next question, actually. Do you do the worksheet for every emotion and for and separately for thoughts, or just one per situation? Well, what I suggest that you do is, you, if, you know, if you find yourself, I've got this thing going on and my mind is telling me that I'm angry and sad and afraid. So I'm going to do a worksheet on anger. I'm going to do a worksheet on sadness. I'm going to do a worksheet on fear around that situation. So each one is separate. And here's the reason. Literally... When you realize that perception is a construct of the mind, you know, the world has taught us we have eyes and we see out there. And that's just the silliest lie that's ever been told. Nobody has ever seen anything in the world ever, and you never will. We have eyes, yes. We have an antenna that receives light energy. That light energy brings information into the brain and According to the frequencies of light that come into the brain, information stored in the brain is resonated, is set into activity. The energy that's set into activity is basically thought. And so if I have a particular event that happens and the light that comes in conveys something to my brain, my brain literally constructs what I think I see out there. 
I don't see with my eyes. I mean, it's, the eye is a one-way valve. You can't see out of it. Information comes into it. You know, thinking that you can see out of your eye is about as silly as thinking that you could take the antenna off the back of your TV and look in it and see out through the antenna up on top of the roof. You can't see out of the antenna. And so we've we've been taught this false idea that we see things when the truth is our seeing happens with our brain. And so if a particular event resonates thought disorders that result in me having fear, thought disorders that result in me having hostility, thought disorders that result in me having sadness. Now I say I'm sad because I saw that, I'm afraid because I saw that, and, and I'm angry because I saw that. The truth is, no, I have anger, I have fear, I have sadness. And I'm feeling that because that's what's in me. And this event, the information that came in, resonated those thought disorders. And those thought disorders literally energetically, we have this amazing device. Our mind takes thoughts and turns them into pictures. You know, this may not wholly apply in, in some of the other countries that are participating. But, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 years or so ago, the um, the broadcast system in America was what they called analog broadcast. And analog means that, you know, let's say channel two, channel four, channel six, each of them has, you know, from a, an energetic perspective, a physics perspective, it has a, a an energetic signature, a wave that carries information. So channel two has a particular frequency, channel four, channel six. And what they used to do here in America is they would then superimpose images, pictures on that carrier wave. So the TV antenna receives that carrier wave and it, it kind of like lifts out or it decodes the pictures and it shows the pictures on the screen. So the picture that's included in the uh, carrier wave is now showing up on the screen. Now it's like, so this is the TV's ability to decode. Well, back, I don't even know how many years ago, 20 or so years ago, they decided that all broadcasts in America were going to be required by law to be digital, all TV broadcasting. So they got rid of these analog signals that contained pictures, and they made them uh, signals that contained information, digital information. And so people had to go out and buy new TVs. If they wouldn't go out and buy new TVs, the government passed a law. You know, you had to keep everybody in the, the loop of the TV brainwash. They passed a law that if people didn't have a television that could decode the new digital signals, the government would buy you one. And you would install it on your old analog TV, hook it up, and now when the new broadcasting system came out, you'd still be able to watch television because the decoder would convert that signal. And that's exactly what happens in the mind. Energetic patterns in the mind, thoughts, literally, the mind has the ability to convert them into pictures. <clears throat> Digital images, excuse me, <clears throat> are converted into analog images, pictures. And so if I recognize I have a perceptual construct, an image in my mind, that has these kinds of traumas or upsets in them, 
then I want to dissolve each one that I can identify. And that's why I want to do a different worksheet around every feeling, a different worksheet around every thought. Because when I pull that piece of the signal out, that's when the resulting perception that seems so hard and so strong and so fixed and so real about out there, that's when it collapses in on itself and I get to free myself from it. I get to lose from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Just because it's, um, somebody's put it on here, just because it wasn't in relation to the emotions. What if I do not know how to describe the emotions? I mean, do not understand myself. Okay. So you'll notice that there's a little box on the worksheet that says draw it. Sometimes these are pre-verbal things. You know, I've had people who've gone back and have memories in the womb. They didn't have language. And so that's why we put, you know, from experience, that's why we put that little box in there to draw your feelings. Because oftentimes there are no words for those feelings. It was pre-verbal. Or it's maybe genetic and there's no recall of it, no way to, to put it into words. But that's where you've got a place and you start to create, you know, the silliest visual drawing and all of a sudden click, something moves. Energetically, something moves. And that's what we're looking to do is to get whatever that is that has been held. And sometimes these <clears throat> thought disorders may be 10 generations old when we really trace them back, when we really key into them. And when I'm able to pull them up and allow them to come forward in the presence of breath and the active presence of love, they come undone. I don't have to figure them out. They come undone. That's the magic of actual first century Aramaic forgiveness. Thank you. Um, you are most welcome. Another question. And, Sorry, go on. Yeah, go ahead. It's what I don't want to punish. I think it must be on that punish part. It's what I don't want to punish. What? I'll say that over the last 40 years of developing this, one of the most common comments in a live workshop that I get on the worksheet is, that, well, I don't have any punishment thoughts. Oh, okay, well, what is it you want to do? Oh, I just want to leave. <laughs> no punishment thoughts, but I want to leave. You know what the most disastrous punishment you can do to somebody? Is isolate them. But... In a culture where leaving is part of the culture, to me, like one of the major things that needs to be healed on the planet is this whole issue of leaving. It's, it's like it's become so ingrained in our sight that we think leaving. I mean, if you think about yourself and an experience of being abandoned, how horrendous that was, and you say, well, I don't have any punishment. I just want to abandon them. I just want to leave them. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's punishment there. 99.999999% of the time, there's punishment. And I may not be in touch with it, so I'd maybe just mark it unconscious, unaware. Yes, I want to leave. Okay. So, you know, what they've shown is in prisons, when they put people in isolation in prisons, they go nuts. They go literally crazy because they can't handle the isolation. That's one of the most horrendous punishments there is. which is a pretty sad commentary on 
punishment in America because there's still prisons in America today, and I hate to acknowledge it or admit it, that were designed to keep prisoners in isolation. And they're still in operation, even they know exactly what they're doing. We've got lots of forgiveness to do on the planet around leaving, isolating, punishing. It's a big one, that one. It's major. I wonder if that's what's your religious background. Say again? If that's what's your religious background. Mine? Yeah. My, my original... Uh, upbringing was in the in the Christian world and as I say the focus of this work has come out of the first century Aramaic language and the teachings of Yeshua people call him Jesus but his name wasn't Jesus it was Yeshua and when I first came in touch with his teachings as an adult my background was electronics with a side study in physics and I was a naturopathic physician and what I saw in it was, ah, this isn't about theology. This is about psychology. This is about genetics. This is about physiology. This is about how this energy system called life works. The man was a physicist. He wasn't a theologian. And when you start looking at it from that perspective, it all just starts to make sense. And then you realize that each and every one of what are considered to be the religious figures in truth, are really about, here's how the energy system works. Here's what I've discovered can help you clean it up. The more effective teachers of showing people how to clean up their lives have become the, you know, have risen to the top. And my offering is none of them in their essence were religious. It's just people who've discovered we are human beings. We are made of the stuff called love. All you have to do is hold a newborn to verify that for yourself. And we've lost it. How do we return? How do we get back to who we are as human beings? Well, the number one key is you got to get rid of what you're not. You know, there's, I think I may have shared it on one of the earlier shows, but uh, there's a story about a tourist who's looking at the statue of David as Michelangelo was finishing you know, chiseling it out, and he looks at it, and he's just like amazed. It's like, how did you do that? And Michelangelo just said, well, David was in that piece of granite all the while. All I did was remove everything that wasn't him. If you remove everything that isn't you from your genes, from your cultural programming, and from your own life, all that we left is your created essence, which is love, period. And we're all the same. It's the same with all of us. Some people have got terror and trauma and rage and hatred and vengeance and, you know, violence and viciousness and murder structured in them. So they, we say that's a murderer. And the truth is, you know, that's someone who's killed. But the truth is, they're not a murderer. They're no different than you and I. They're made of the same stuff. And do people need to be punished for the terrible things they do? It's the most ridiculous thing. Like, we're on the punishment planet. One of my things here is to end this whole idea of punishment. You say, well, they did something terrible. Shouldn't they be punished? No. If you look at somebody who did something terrible, you've got somebody who was hurting. And hurting people hurt people. So let's see now. 
we're going to reform the world by taking the hurting people who've hurt people and hurt them more and see if we can fix the world. It's crazy on its face. Yes, there are people who need to be isolated from society. You know, a murderer definitely needs to be isolated from society. Do they need to be punished? No. What they need is healing. If we're ever going to get to a planet where we function as human beings, then everything that's not human in us is going to have to be healed. That's all. And that means some pretty crazy stuff is going to have to be dealt with. It's going to have to come up. And so the idea of this work is to create a space where within ourselves, individually, within our family systems, within our own communities, wherever we are, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Muslim community or a Christian community or a Hindu community or a Sikh community, whatever communities we're in, can we function as human beings? And when we do, there's going to be peace in the world. Actually, there's going to be, if you go back into the ancient Aramaic, the, this statement where we're told, he said, you know, my peace I bring to you. It wasn't that. It was my serenity. It's like we all have within us the source of the same serenity. But if we've got patterns of hate and fear and rage and guilt that are unresolved, then those things get in the way and they darken our experience, our perception of the moment. And we're here to support people cleaning it up. Wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever they've got or whatever they don't have. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is just a personal question that's come from about the punishment and thing that you just said before. Right. How do you know the difference when leaving is out of punishment or leaving is out of um, it's time to leave? I think the difference is night and day. And the reason for that is that literally every thought we think creates an energy field. Back about four decades ago, I used to speak at a conference called Global Science. One year, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel, who was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM, showed up at the conference. And he brought along a thing, I think I shared this in the last show, the Delaware camera, where he was able to, he, he showed us pictures of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. If I'm leaving out of vengeance and hatred and fear, and uh, I'm, con- I'm conveying all of that to all the world. Guess who I'm going to probably move when I get, or meet when I get a mile down the road? I'm going to find somebody who's going to play out that vengeance and fear with me. If I get to the point where I recognize, you know, this relationship is complete, you want to live one way, which I'm not in agreement with, and I choose to live another. So I bless you. I honor you. I honor the time we've had together, and it's time for me to move on. Now I'm not leaving out of rage and fear, and I'm not sending out a literal high-energy wave that asks the world to send me another abuser. It's like I'm ready to live in a space where I can create relationship that supports the truth of who I am and where I'm here to support the truth of who you are. Now we've got a whole different thing. Energetically, the communication. I mean, there's nothing we know of in the physical world that can stop the high energy wave that leaves the mind when we think a thought. Everything we hold in us is communicated continuously. If what we hold in us, you know, when you think of physiology as an integrated energy system, Relative to that energy system, there are energies which build the system up 
an energy switch to tear the system down. If there's a tear-down energy in our energy system, then our physiology is deteriorating. Now, it's interesting in the Aramaic language, the word that is used to describe the tear-down energy is the word sin. And it's an archery term. When I fire at the bullseye and I miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper yells sin. You're off the mark. That's all that word means. Now, you look at the baggage that the religions have put on the word sin, and it's horrendous. When the truth is, it's just I'm engaging in energy that doesn't belong. Now, my offering is that if I engage in energy that doesn't belong, hate, fear, rage, guilt, you know, a, a system made for love is going to be torn down by those things. And so it seems that the way the creation is set up, accidental or otherwise, that if I'm in resonance with something in alignment with pain and suffering, then I'm going to set up a high-energy wave that's going to draw in somebody who's going to play out pain and suffering with me. When I decide to go inside and clean that up, I'm no longer sending out a literal high-energy wave that draws that person to me, and then when they get here, I draw that out of them. I'm literally setting up, setting up a whole different energy field. And it doesn't matter in what arena I'm doing that. It doesn't matter if it's in relationship arena or financial arena. If the underlying thought is, I'll always be poor because I don't deserve anything. I could win the lottery tomorrow. In fact, they've done research on people who won the lottery. And people who are in dire poverty and dire straits when they win the lottery, a year or two later, are broke again. Doesn't matter. $100 million. It's gone. Because if, if one holds, I'm supposed to be in dire poverty, then they'll set up, you know, what do they need? They need the thief to come and take it, or they need to get greedy, or they need to get drunk, or, you know, whatever they need to do. They're going to produce that result. The idea of this work is that if I see that there's a pattern in me of producing a certain result, I can go to work and undo the underlying aspect of that pattern so I can go somewhere else, so I can live differently. Fit? Make sense? Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, one more question, and then I'll open it up for other people. Because I do the worksheets quite often on people. How do you catch I don't know if you'll be able to, um, but when people get distracted when you're doing the worksheet and they wander off and their attention wanders off, how do you catch them to bring them back to the worksheet? Because you tend to I'm not... they, they get wander off into the story. Right. They talk about something else or they'll, I've seen them get up and actually well, leave and do stuff yeah. and try and change the subject. Right. You know, there are a thousand ways that we've, set up to try to avoid and the mind and you know when I work with people directly on worksheets what I focus on is bringing them back in fact we did a worksheet a couple of weeks ago remember and and about six times we had to come back because the mind is is it, it's set up all kinds of distractions and if you notice yourself being distracted and that's one of the reasons why it can be really useful to do the worksheet in writing is if you find yourself being distracted, it's, it's easier to stay on track if you're putting it down in writing in front of you. I have people who say, oh, I just do the worksheets in my mind. And to that person, I have a little song I like to sing, and that is, uh, 
Neil Simons. Slip sliding away. You know, the near your destination, the more you slip sliding away. When people get closer to the core of their issues, that's when they want to turn and look the other way. A thousand distractions. And I've seen it take people when they start really moving some things and getting in touch with some things. I've seen them run away from this work and I've seen it take 10 years for them to go back and say, tell me that again. I need to hear that again. That's just a part of, you know, the distractions that we put ourselves in. Okay. There's an interesting there's an interesting video. I don't know how how available it would be over there, but I'll just put it out there. I know that we can I've I've bought a couple of copies to share with people on Amazon. It's called May I Be Frank. And it's a story about a, a restaurant actually in California. And uh it's called Cafe Gratitude. And at Cafe Gratitude, when you first come into the restaurant, they ask you a question. They've got a question of the day. And the question of the day on one particular day was, what do you want most of all? And this overweight um, New Jersey Italian gentleman was touched by the question. And he said, I just want to be loved again. And then went into a tirade about how nobody could ever love him because he's 100 pounds overweight and ugly and, you know, all of this. The two young men who were servers in that restaurant, one of them was his father was the owner of the restaurant. These two young men kind of built a rapport with this man. They went back to dad and said, dad, we want to take this man on as a project and help him heal. And they ended up creating a video called May I Be Frank. And it's just, it's powerful because it shows, you know, in a very practical way, what everybody's going to go through. If you actually want to heal, everybody's going to have to do this. There's just no two ways about it. Everybody has got this kind of stuff to deal with. But there's one particular scene that, you know, you bring up when you, uh, when you ask that question. And that is that he really wants to get back into relationship with his daughter, and he has a woman that when he was a younger man, he dearly loved. And, you know, between them, they just totally destroyed the relationship. And so it gets to the point where with the support of these two young men, he's really stepping in and doing his work. They end up flying his former wife out to California. And they're sitting in his living room having a conversation, you know, and it's like, oh, it's so sweet to see you and everything's so wonderful. And then they get into some of the issues. And... I don't remember exactly what the issue is, but the, the, the conversation turns to an issue where he still has just is just loaded with rage. And it's powerful to watch. Let me back up a little bit. Earlier in the film, they show how they designed a contract with this man. And, and part of his commitment was he would only ever he would, was only allowed to eat what they fed him from the restaurant. And they literally went into his house. They video doing this. They went into his house. They took all the garbage, all the drugs out of his refrigerator and freezer. And when I mean that, by that, I mean all the, the meat and all the chemicals and all, just all the junk, all the sugar, all the caffeine, took all of that out. And it's gone. And this guy is, is interacting with his wife and these, this young man's moderating their discussion. And he goes into a, just a fit of rage. And he gets up off the couch and walks through to 
And here's his habit. You can see his distraction. He walks through and opens the refrigerator door. And he looks in the refrigerator and he just closes it because he realizes all his drugs are gone. There's so many drugs in this culture, so many anesthetics that people use to distract themselves. And, you know, that's just part of the healing process. I, I wish there were a way to just snap a magic wand and you know, have all that disappeared for everybody. But everybody's got to do their own process and everybody's got to come to, the, to, to strengthen their minds to make new choices. Or actually, I shouldn't even say new choices. I, I should say it more accurately, it's to come out of old decisions and begin to make actual choices. Thank you. That's really a helpful thing for me as well. Well, uh, let me just take it one step further, just a little more of a demonstration of the principle. You know, the way what we call the mind works is the law of resonance. We've talked about that before. The law of resonance is this. When two energy fields are in harmony with each other, when they're in tune with each other, there's an exchange of energy between them. So if I say to you, don't think about the color of your car, I set up a frequency with my voice. Now, the truth is I've never said a word in my life and neither of you. We call it saying words, but what it is actually is there's a little flap of skin in the back of our throat, and we've learned how to pass air over it to vibrate it to make these air molecules move, and we call the air molecules moving when they hit the ear a sound and words. But the truth is I'm not saying words. I'm just vibrating a flap of skin. In fact, there's a, a good video where they had Mick Jagger hitting some of his high notes, and they've got a camera down his throat watching his voice box. It's, it's amazing video on YouTube. So, so that vibration, that energetic pattern that we set up and call speaking is nothing more than a frequency representing the thoughts in our minds. And as I recognize how that energetic system works, I realize that most of what I say I think is nothing but like the color of my car resing, something from the past firing in brain cells. What's the front door of your house look like? Well, you can see that, right? Well, that's thoughts moving. Is, is, is that something? Is that thinking? What's your favorite item of clothing? You've got brain cells for that. All of that's the past just representing itself, and that the mind representing things is, is what properly we call a decision. It's not a choice. It's not even thinking. The truth is, if most people said what they thought, they'd be speechless just a decision when we wake up to who we are we start to source mind energy that the mind has never seen now we're functioning as humans until somebody does that they're not even human they're just playing out a program playing out the past you, know, you go back and you look at the the you know western scriptures it says look to the lives of the fathers for ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth we're just playing out the patterns of the generations Forgiveness deletes the patterns of the generations and makes room for actual thinking, for us to actually source mind energy originally that's maybe never been seen in the world. And that's what we're designed to do. That's when life really starts, when we function as people who actually think and choose rather than just go by the old decisions from the generations, the generational patterns. You know, you look at that story about the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. You know, you think about that. How do you get lost in a 35-square-mile area for 40 years when you understand astronomy very well? I mean, that's silly. 
And what had to happen, if you read that story, what had to happen for them to get out of that desert, to get into what they called the promised land? To get out of the desert, they said the old generation has to die off. Now, to the root of the word generation is genaria. It means cause. It doesn't mean everybody in old physical bodies had to physically die. What they were saying is to get out of the unconscious state. The, the desert is just a code word for the unconscious. It wasn't about a 35-square-mile sandy hot area. To get out of the unconscious. And what did they say had to happen? They said the old generation had to die. All of the causes held in the mind from the past have to be removed. And that's the core of this work. That's what we're here for. That was really helpful. Um, I'll move on to people being able to ask questions, because um, Maggie's first, if Maggie wants to ask a question. Cool. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. And if anyone else wants to ask a question, if you just raise your hand, and then I'll go around and circle. Uh, hello, Michael. I have a question. Basically, it's quite complicated, so I don't know. Um, basically, during the worksheet, I came to certain things a few times, and I noticed that you right. know, um, me basically and things which happened to me in life uh, are very much rooted in the cause of looking to be like love unconditionally. Uh, you know, because I have that void from my childhood. Right. And that requires, you know, giving people too many chances, you know, and basically, you know, putting myself in a vulnerable position to get hurt. So doing the work that I came, you know, coming to the point, you know, and I cancel my need of being, what, love unconditionally. And okay, I can write it probably a thousand times, but I will never kind of feel it. You know, my my inside, my heart doesn't agree with that. And I right. don't know what to do if does this should be something I super supersede with my self-love or what should I do, you know, to solve that of my issue? Well, the core, the number one step, remember, in forgiveness Mm-hmm. It's the canceling of a goal. Yes. So the, so the first step there would be for you to cancel the need to be loved unconditionally. Yes. And, I wrote it, but I don't feel it, you know? Right. Well, so this is probably going to be what they call, what we call your 77 times 70 issue. Okay. You know, 2,000 years ago when they said to Yeshua, how many of these darn worksheets do we have to do? Is seven enough? Now, how many times should I forgive my brother? And the answer was, no, 77 times 70. The Greeks translated it as 77 times 7, but it's 77 times 70, which literally means I, this is the, the core issue. I'm going to have to do this an infinite number of times until I'm complete with it. And so that's going to be the starting point. And here's what's going to happen. When you finally collapse the interference in your mind that you create, by this desire for someone to love you unconditionally, when that finally drops, then you're going to get to experience, you're going to get to experience life without 
your mind trying to interpret, fix, get, gain, whatever it is that you're trying to fix, get, or gain. And here's what will happen. You'll find out that it was all a false pursuit in the first place. Nobody, here's, here's my, the, the best news I'll ever tell you and probably the worst news I'll ever tell you. Nobody has ever loved you and nobody's ever going to love you. You have never loved anyone. Nobody is, and you have never loved, are go, never going to love anyone. Because love isn't something we do to each other. It's what we are. When somebody sets us on a false track, we keep looking for the impossible, looking for the impossible, looking for the impossible, looking for the impossible. And of course, we never find it. So we go, oh, well, I guess I just don't deserve it. When I stop looking for that, then here's what I discover. What I'm looking for is what is looking. It's who I am. I am the active presence of love. But as long as my mind is screaming and raging about I need to have inner faith and if only and I have so much sadness and so much pain and so much loss and so much, then I'm never going to get to taste myself as the human being that I'm created to be, and that is love. Now, one of the best ways I know to prove that to yourself, have you ever, do you have any children? Yes, I do. I have daughter. Okay. If you go back to the first time you held your daughter in your arms, I mean, actually think about the first time you held her, what position were you in? How were you holding her? Let your hands go into that position and imagine that you're holding her again for the first time. And everyone else is listening. If you've got that experience, just go back to that moment. And... Now, bypassing all of your own thoughts and feelings, allow yourself for a moment to tap into the essence of your daughter, her true being, her true essence. And if you tap into her essence, what word would you use to describe her, her essence? For me, that was, you know... I just like, I hold her and I just like melted. That was just like pure love, you know? There you go. Now, here's my question. Be with that pure love right now. Is she loving you or is she love? Yeah, and I know you asked that question many times, but I think actually the correct answer is both because it would be, in my opinion, different for the man, different for a woman because the child grows in the woman's body, so the connection is there just from the beginning. Yes. But but my offering is, you know, we, we talk in our cultural world about, oh, I love you. And, and what that really means is, as long as you're fulfilling all the goals I have for you, I approve of you. And if you stop doing that, think about somebody that, you know, you've said before, I love you. And then notice the only time you're upset with them is when they're not fulfilling your goals. So is love when somebody's fulfilling your goals or is it really, is that really love? My offering is most people, what most people call love is just approval. Mm. And so that pure melting energy of love is what your daughter is. 
Your daughter wasn't looking at you and going, saying, hi, mom, here I am as love. She was just being. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth about you, too. But the world put all kinds of conditions on, oh, you're not, you're, you should have done this, oh, you should do that. When you fulfill all of mom's goals, when you fulfill all of dad's goals, when you're a good girl, when you're, and, and all of a sudden, mind gets in the way, and we become overwhelmed by what we're not, and that blocks the experience of who we are. Okay. So now what needs to happen is we need to learn to forgive what we're not in order to get back to experiencing who we are. Okay. And when you come back to that experience of yourself being that pure presence of being that you experience with your daughter, then you'll know who you are. Okay. Well, because Good breath. Yeah, that was uh, hard breath. Um, because, yeah. you know, as we spoke before, I, what I said, you know, my grandma passed away when I was young, was the only person who loved me unconditionally because my parents were very conditional. And I'm trying to be, and I feel like, I don't know, 99.9% I am with my daughter because ever argue and things like that and she's like oh you don't love me anymore I was like I, I always say to her that's not true I love you anyway it doesn't mean I'm always happy with your behavior but I love you that doesn't change it you know so my offering would be a much healthier conversation to have with your daughter would be to say sweetie right now you know there's some goals I have for you and you're not achieving them and that's bringing up hostility for me. And it seems like I'm now pointing my hostility at you, which I am. But that's got nothing to do with the fact that you are love. That's, yeah, that's the truth of who you are. Whatever I point at you, that's my problem. This is mom's issue. I have my hostility. And, yeah, last night when you were out late and you didn't tell me and, you know, and then I found out you did this, all my disapproval stuff came up. And I'm working on cleaning up my disapproval of you. In the meantime, I want you to remember and I want you to know who you are as love. And that's exactly what I'm working on, too, as your mom. In fact, maybe we could work on this together. Tell you what, would you sit down, because I've had this issue, too. Would you sit down and just hold the space for me? Just be that sweet presence of love that you are while I work through this worksheet on myself, not feeling like I'm loved? You might find yourself, you've got a very, yourself, a very powerful ally in healing this wound that probably goes back many generations in your bloodline. Because I never, it's never like I love her in like any less or whatsoever. The only thing I said to her, I still love you the same way I did, but I'm just right now not very happy with, you know, what happened, you know. And And I'm not happy. Not like I'm not happy with her, but I'm not happy, you know, that makes me feel basic upset, you know. But you you notice that that doesn't mean a thing to her. What means a thing to her is she's not experiencing the presence of you as love. Mm -hmm. And she interprets that through the same brain cells that you passed on to her that you interpret it that you're not loved. She interprets it as I'm not loved. And she's Mm -hmm. taking responsibility for what's going on with you. It's the same issue that you have with your parents. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the most common issues on the planet, and we need to be cleaning up because that's the original wound that most people suffer from their whole lives and never find a way to work through it. And so, you know, 
I suspect if you're typical, like most of us are, that we'd probably have to go back many generations to find one parent and one child who went through their whole childhood, each experiencing themselves as the presence of love and knowing that that was the truth about them.